You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, recorded 10 a.m. on August 20, 2023, presented by Reverend Willem Vandenberg. Okay, now we come to the reading of the second passage of Scripture from Job chapter 28. which I trust you will have on the screen again. Yes, you do. Job chapter 28. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches every recess for ore in the darkness and in the shadow of death. He breaks open a shaft away from people. In places forgotten by feet, they hang far away from men. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, from it comes bread. But underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the source of sapphires, and it contains gold dust. That path no bird knows nor has the falcon's eye seen it. The proud lions have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint, he overturns the mountains at the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams from trickling. What is hidden he brings forth to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where is the place of understanding? Man doesn't know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. And the sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be purchased for gold, nor can silver be weighed for its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir in precious onyx or sapphire. Neither gold nor crystal can equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewellery of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or quartz. The price of wisdom is above rubies. Topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come? Where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say, we've heard a report about it with our ears. God understands its way and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees under the whole heavens to establish a weight for the wind and apportion the waters by measure. When he made a law for the rain and a path for the thunderbolt, then he saw wisdom and declared it. He prepared it, indeed he searched it out. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. So far this reading from God's holy word. May he help us to understand what we've read. 
aspect. Let's pray to that end. Lord our God, as we have read this passage and as we will now consider what it means to us, Lord, we pray that you, by your Spirit, will guide our thoughts, guide our understanding, help us to understand what you would have us to know from this passage this morning, that we might grow in our understanding of you and our love for you and our respect and reverence for your greatness and your power. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts might be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, boys and girls, always feel that uh, when, when the church is only half full, it's filled with, with angels. As, um, as the Lord promised, where two or three are gathered in my name, that he will be with us. And I'm sure the angels will be loving to hear God's word read and preached. So, boys and girls, have you ever been spelunking? Spelunking? What is that, you might say? Well, when I was a boy of 12 or 13, I and my brother, who's a year older than me, and a couple of friends, we found some caves not far from Portland. We used to live in Portland, in the Western District. And we found some caves, and we went spelunking, which means exploring in caves. Sometimes we'd be crawling along on all fours in pitch black darkness. Rather spooky, particularly when we came into a more spacious part where there were bats flying about. And eventually we would come to a dead end and have to find our way back again in the dark. That gave us a bit of a feel for what gold miners might have done back in the distant past. Perhaps you've been to Sovereign Hill near Ballarat and uh, you would have heard and seen amazing stories and pictures of an early miner at work. It was back in the uh, 1850s when the Sovereign Hill was active. And in this chapter in the middle of Job, chapter 28, we have a description of an early miner at work. One of the key verses of this passage, which I've chosen as the theme for my sermon, is the last verse, verse 28, which says, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Now this is fear, not in the sense of you know, terror and and uh, cringing, no, it's, it's a deep respect and reverence. Job was an unusual character. We don't know very much about him. All that most people know about Job is that he was a rich man whom Satan, in just one day, made woefully poor. And then the next day struck him with great diseases. 
But in the end, God rewarded him for his faithfulness and made him richer than he was before. And some people might also add to that that well, Job was a chap who had three friends with, of whom you might say, with friends like that, who needs enemies? But that's about all that most people would know about Job. Who was Job? It's not known for certain. The Bible doesn't tell us very clearly. He may have been a contemporary of Jacob. That is, he may be a grandson of, or great-grandson of Abraham's brother Nahor, and therefore worshipped the God of Nahor and Abraham. Or it suggested he might have been a contemporary of Moses, 400 or so years after Jacob. Been suggested that Moses was the author of this book, of Job, and that he wrote it while he was looking after the sheep of his father Jethro in Midian, where he met Job. Again, we don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't say so. So we can't know for certain. We're told in chapter 1, verse 1, that Job lived in the land of Uz. Archaeologists have speculated as to where Uz might be. Some suggest it's not far from Ur, where Abraham started off. But that too is uncertain. So leaving aside just who Job was, what's the main message of the book of Job? It is an attempt to answer the age-old problem of why do the righteous suffer if God is a God of mercy and love? <clears throat> Isn't that a common complaint you hear? I can't believe there's a God because he wouldn't allow such suffering in Sudan, in Afghanistan, in Myanmar, and so on. Well, where's God with all these bushfires in Europe right now? Or when there's um, droughts, or when there are floods, or when there are earthquakes. Where is God? Why does God allow such happenings? Those are the sorts of questions people often ask. They're not new. They're not just a modern phenomenon. Job and his friends faced the same problem. <clears throat> now the book of, <clears throat> excuse me. The book of Job teaches that man is to acknowledge the sovereignty of God. That God rules over all things and has everything totally in his control. We are to accept God on God's own terms and not to try to get God to conform to our ideas of what he should be and what he should do and not do. We are to walk by faith, <coughs> believing, <coughs> believing that God will work all things out for the good of those who love him. That's the things that go wrong for us are a means of disciplining us or sanctifying us. Perhaps they're a means of proving and testing. And if we endure, our faith will be strengthened and we will be richly blessed in the long run. But the main point of this passage is contained in the last verse of this chapter, 
The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And I'd like us to consider, firstly, the search for earth's treasures. Secondly, the heart to get greater treasure, wisdom. And thirdly, directions for getting wisdom. So first, the search for earth's great treasures. Earth has much treasure just waiting to be dug up. A variety of treasure to tease and excite man's desires. People have over the centuries been very industrious in getting these treasures out of the earth. They've thought up ways and means and invented machinery to help them in the search and in the excavations. In verse 4, we read that he cuts a shaft and he dangles and sways. You might picture him with a pick and shovel, digging deep and then lowering himself by a rope to get ever further down. And why? To find whatever he's looking for, whether it's nuggets of gold or sapphires. <clears throat> I mentioned Sovereign Hill before. If you've ever visited there, or the Wonthaggy coal mine, which opened in 1910, then you might have some idea of the trouble that people went to just to make a living from the resources that are hidden in the earth, hoping, of course, to strike it rich. But look at the trouble people went to in Job's day. Verse 3, man puts an end to the darkness. He searches the furthest recesses for awe in the blackest darkness. No doubt he gets himself a light. Not sure what sort of light it might have been in Job's day. Certainly not electric, probably not even battery. It was probably an oil lamp. Anyway, whether or not it was oil, he carries a lamp of some sort to see into the farthest recesses. I'm amazed at how far people, even then, would dig into the ground just to make a living. And verse 4, far from where people dwell, in places forgotten by the foot of man, far from men. Yes, he'll go to great lengths. He will travel far in the search for wealth. He's not afraid of being alone, isolated. That's the stuff pioneers are made of. And verse 9, man's hand assaults the flinty rock and lays bare the roots of the mountains, he tunnels through the rock. As he exposes himself to great danger, danger of being suffocated by gases that rise from the earth, or danger from rock falls, or the collapse of their tunnels. But even today, there are dangers in mining. Verse 11, he dams up the streams so that they do not trickle. That's another danger to which such explorers are exposed. While he's tunneling deep underground, he must constantly beware of water seeping into his tunnel and drowning him if he's not careful. James Watt, you might remember him, back in 1775, he developed a steam engine which was in the first place to pump water out of these mines. But Job was about 4,000 years before James Watt. 
wonder what, whether they had pumps of some sort in Job's day. But all this trouble and all this danger, and what for? For earthly treasures which do not last. They rot, or they rust, or, as with gold and silver, the more you get of it, the less valuable it becomes. In King Solomon's time, we're told that silver was as common as stones. And if it's so common, it's probably not much more expensive either. It doesn't gain you so much income. And besides, you can't take these earthly treasures with you when you die. In recent years, mining has become much safer. Technology has advanced so far and so fast that poor old Job would have been amazed if he saw it all. What with the laser beams and x-ray technology to locate things on the ground, or remote sensing via satellite imagery to find likely sites, and then the heavy-duty mechanical, mechanical drills and excavators and remotely controlled robots. And then also explosives to break up the rocks and so on. Technology is advancing so fast these days that even these things I've mentioned might already be out of date and I don't know about it. And even the people who are specialists in their field can find it difficult to keep up with all the advances that are made in technology in their field of expertise. But just because people are able to do all these things and to make all these advances, doesn't therefore follow that they can, using their own intelligence, understand why it is that some good people prosper and others are afflicted? No, it doesn't. Man can probe and investigate the depths of the earth. He can land a man on the moon. With his radio telescopes and what have you, he can probe deep into outer space and see the birth and the death of stars in distant galaxies. But no, he cannot probe into the mind of God. He cannot determine why it is that wicked people appear to prosper and good people often have a hard time and are not appreciated. But then secondly, we look at the hard-to-get, greater treasure, wisdom. Verses 12 to 20. Job asks in verse 12, where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? He realizes that after all the explorations, all the discoveries that have been made, there is still something missing, something that's out of reach. He's spoken of the wealth of this world on which people place so much value and for which people go to so much trouble to us to get rich. But ultimately, that is not wisdom. In the end, all that will do them no good. What is the purpose of man? I'm sure you know the question from the Catechism, question one. What is man's chief purpose? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
Wisdom is not to be found in chasing after this earth's treasures. It must be found somewhere else. Notice some of the things Job says about wisdom. Verse 13, man does not comprehend its worth. He doesn't understand its value. People just do not have any idea of the worth of wisdom or just how much better better off they would be with a dose of wisdom than with any of this world's treasures. Verse 15, we're told it cannot be bought. People just cannot get a grasp on it. They cannot put a realistic value on it. It is invaluable. People may think themselves very clever to be able to search out and extract Earth's riches, to be able to accumulate much much wealth for themselves, but no, that is not wisdom. There have been plenty of examples in recent years of men who have accumulated great wealth and have come to terrible grief. You just cannot put a value on wisdom. It is invaluable. And in verses 15 to 19, wisdom is compared with all the world's treasures. Gold, silver, onyx, sapphires, and so on. All the things the world values highly. But none of them can buy wisdom. Wisdom cannot be bought. It is a gift. A gift of the Holy Spirit. And gifts of the Holy Spirit cannot be bought. Remember, the Apostle Peter's answer to Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, verse 20. Simon had seen Peter and John place their hands on the new believers in Samaria, and they'd seen the Holy Spirit come down on these new believers. And he wanted this power too, and offered the disciples money to get this power. And Peter answered him bluntly, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Wisdom is a gift of the Holy Spirit and cannot be bought. Verse 13, we're told it cannot be found in the land of the living. Man has searched high and low in the farthest recesses, in the blackest darkness, far from where people dwell, in places forgotten by the foot of man, And the deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be found in the land of the living. Cannot be found anywhere but in God. The only way to get a right understanding of God and his will is by prayerfully reading God's book and the writings of men of God who have been regenerated and born again by the Spirit of God. The question is repeated in verse 20. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? Where do you think? Where are you looking for wisdom? Where do you go for guidance and direction? That's an important question. Too important to ignore. So Job repeats it. And then he goes on to give us Directions for getting wisdom. That's our third point. Directions for getting wisdom. Verses 21 to 28. 
There are two components to wisdom. There's that which is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, hidden in God. It is secret and unavailable to us. There's a great verse in uh, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29, verse 29. Makes it easy to remember. Chapter 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow the words of his, this law. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed are ours. To know what God is going to do, or to know why disasters happen, to know the reasons behind what God is doing now, is not available to us. It's futile for us to speculate on it, and it's wrong for Job's friends to presume to know, as they have done in the previous chapters. Verse 22, we're told destruction and death say, only a rumour of it has reached our ears. Yes, once we've passed from this life, then perhaps we'll be shown some of the things we wonder about now. But then again, at that time, we might be interested in that anymore. We'll have better things to think about. Such things will then not be important. God is omniscient. He knows everything. Verse 23, God understands the way to wisdom, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. God is omnipotent, that's all-powerful. He established the force of the wind, and he measured out the waters. He made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm. God controls the wind and the rain. He decreed just where they should go and how much damage they should do. We might wonder, why the floods? Why the drought? Why the hurricanes? And so on. And the reasons for these things are hidden from us. Yet it's comforting to know that he is in charge and that all these elements are limited and governed by him. They are under his control. They can do no more damage than he allows. But that which he has revealed is available to us. Verse 28, he said to man, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. We cannot, cannot get true wisdom except by divine revelation. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, the Lord gives wisdom. This is not hidden, but it's freely available to us from the fount of all wisdom. <clears throat> we need to program our minds and guard our minds and protect our minds from bad input. We conscientiously, intentionally need to take in good matter. What's seen on TV can rarely be classed as wisdom. We need to take note of what Paul said in Philippians <clears throat> chapter 4, verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That is wisdom. Here in Job 28, verse 28, we have the description of true religion. To fear the Lord and to depart from evil. Notice that's the description of Job himself in chapter 1, verse 1. Where it says, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. And this is acknowledged by the Lord himself. As he pointed out, Job out to Satan in chapter 1, verse 8. A man who fears God and shuns evil. We won't truly fear the Lord without spending time in devotion to him. Spending time reading his word. Spending time talking to him in prayer. Confessing sin and adoring him for his mercy and love in Christ. So brothers and sisters, young people, we must all think about such things. Fear God and shun evil. The fear of the Lord is the springboard, the launching pad, the summary of all religion. It's the starting point and the conclusion of our faith. To fear the Lord. Fear as of a child to a parent. A fear of God which springs from great and high and loving thoughts of him. It's the life and soul of Christianity. And wherever this fear dominates in your heart, it will be shown by your constantly being careful to avoid evil. Now in conclusion, I'd like to point to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, which tells us that everything was made by the word of the God, Jesus Christ, and Proverbs 3 verse 19 tells us that by wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. So if everything was made by the word Jesus Christ and everything was made by wisdom means wisdom is Jesus Christ. The word is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's nothing wrong with people searching out earth's treasures in fact, it's commendable. That's what man was instructed to do right back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Fill the earth and subdue it. We are to search out and use the resources of the earth wisely and in a sustainable manner. But more importantly, far more importantly, we are to seek out wisdom. We are to seek out the true wisdom of God, to seek out the Lord Jesus Christ, who is wisdom, by whom alone we can be saved. He endured the cross to save those who repent from sin and believe in him. And speaking of the cross, we read earlier, before the at the beginning of the service, from 1 Corinthians 1, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached 
to save those who believe. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, a foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, wisdom, your wisdom, is much needed today. This verse in Job reminds us that to revere, to respect and to honour you is wisdom. We pray that we might be reminded regularly to turn to your word in the Bible, to study it, to meditate on it, so as to know your will for our lives and to follow it, to follow its guidance. For, as we're told, the fear of the Lord is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. More messages of hope at Essendon Presbyterian Church.org.au or wherever you get your podcasts from.